The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. The essence of the Lord's Prayer reveals our ultimate dependence upon God from whom all blessings flow. Let's prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. O oh, gracious Father, you are the sovereign one. You are the Lord and ruler over everyone and everything, seen and unseen. We are here. We bow down before you as your radiance, the radiance of your love and the glory, your glory shines upon us. Lead us as we look upon the prayer that you have given us. Let us feel the light of your guidance as you impact our lives here and now in Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. About a week and a half ago, I guess it's a week and a half ago, last thir well, Thursday before last, how about that? May 20th, in Phoenix, Arizona, a woman by the name of Claudia Jimenez woke up with flames devouring her apartment. The flames were, were so bad and, and so engulfing that it, that it kept her from exiting, from getting to the door. Her only alternative was to go to the window, her second floor window, second floor, open it up and cry out for help. Cry out desperately for someone to help her. Now listen to this, before the firefighters could get there. A homeless man hears her screams of desperation and responds to her. This homeless man, <clears throat> get this, this homeless man goes to the apartment window where she's crying out and he pleads with her to jump. Now, she had two daughters, her two daughters were with her. And they're also looking out the window. So he's calling out to her, pleading to her, say, throw your daughters out. I'll catch them. Well, as she finally acquiesces because of the flames. And she drops her daughters, her first one, catches, sets down, then drops the second daughter. He catches her, sets her down. And then he looks up and she drops her two dogs, one at a time. And he catches them. And then finally she jumps and he catches her. She is so relieved. She says later that because of him, she's her, she and her daughters are here today. They're alive today because of him. It's an interesting story because that story reminds us of many of us, many Christians who are living a life in disarray. 
disarray because of the, the all the flames that are going on in this world, the flames that are enticing them to submit to the empty promises that have and that will destroy not just their lives, but desecrate their families. Those are the flames of this world. Yes, we live in a society that is devouring us by the flames of hell, the flames of hell. Now, what are these flames, you may be thinking? Now, what are the flames of hell that this our society, this broken world, is pressing upon us, that's killing us? Well, it starts with the propaganda that's been going on, especially here lately, that you are the sovereign of your life. You are the sovereign of your life. You are the God and the ruler of your life. This is a total rejection and denial to the existence of God. See, it is incumbent upon you to decide and to determine your sex, regardless of your biology. It is upon you to decide what is moral, what is right and wrong, because it's subjective. What's right and wrong depends on what's right and wrong for you. Now, that's been around for a while, but it's certainly coming back to play. They are aspiring. They are telling us that there are no absolute truths. What's true for you may not be true for me. Therefore, Christians have been pressured into conforming to the, to the secular world, to secular values. They are being pressured to submit to being uh, politically correct. To the culture. And they are being pressured to do so so they can be accepted by society. Unfortunately, this pressure is overwhelming for some Christians. It is so overwhelming that they have compromised and abandoned their Christian faith or belief in Christ. It's even led some churches to water down the gospel message so they won't be offensive. But we know that the gospel is offensive. It is offensive. It's offensive because it's telling us that there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us, that we're dying, that we're going to be condemned. We're going to have an eternal condemnation, no matter how kind and how good you are. That's offensive. But unfortunately, it is a sovereign truth. It is the sovereign truth. So then how are we, how are we as Christians to live our lives in, in, in a world like this? Well, as we continue our sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we uh, have reached a new section in Jesus' sermon. This section gives us a picture of Christian living in a fallen, broken world. Christian living, how Christians are to live their lives in a fallen, broken world. Christ, our God, is so loving, so wonderful that he just doesn't leave us on our own. He actually paints us a picture 
in his sermon, in this sermon of how we are to live our lives as true believers in a broken world, in this broken society. This section, as we saw last time, begins with prayer begins with prayer. We must saturate ourselves in prayer. Saturate ourselves in prayer. It's funny, Sandy's not here, so I'll talk about her. <laughs> Don't tell her. I was running behind today. I got here late. I got a call from one of the staff, one of our guys that, help us, that helps us out. He goes, is everything okay? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just running late. I had an excuse. I said I was goofing around yesterday with Sammy and Lillian and my newest grandson, Ransom, and I goofed around so much I had to make it up today and it cost me some time. Like we got excuses for everything, right? Excuses. But anyway, so I, I was rushing through, and then I got here, and I got here late, turned, I opened everything, I was just rushing through, just running. I wouldn't even talk to anybody, just running, running. I was in bad mood. I was angry. And Sandy noticed it, like wives do. They noticed something. And we were in the back, and she grabbed me. She says, we need to pray. You know what I told her? Hurry up. Huh. That was enough. I was like, stop, stop, stop. So even the best of us, and I'm not saying I'm one of the best, I'm not. But even those of us who've been walking with Christ for a while can have bad days, can have bad moments. But he doesn't give up on us. We give up on him. And we'll talk about that. This part, this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount gives plaintiffs a picture of how we are to live our lives. We are to saturate ourselves with prayer. The book of Romans tells us that we are to pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. And we talked about that last time we met in the sermon. It is unfortunate that there are many Christians, many people who believe that God is too busy. God is too busy to even, uh, God is too busy, even uninterested to hear our prayers. Huh. God is too busy and even maybe even uninterested. I mean, we don't, leave, we don't live this glamorous life. Like we're nobody. He's uninterested in hearing our prayers. That's what some people believe. And it leads them to, 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 pray, to stop praying or to not pray. Or they come up with creative ways to pray, maybe creative language to pray, maybe repetition, or different ways to pray, to try to get his attention, as if you have to get his attention. You, we have his attention. And thank God, thank Jesus, that it's for good things through his blood. But nothing can be further from the truth. We don't need to get his attention. The reality is that God, has not, God is not too busy for us. We're too busy for him. I was too busy for him. We get too busy for the Lord. We live our days. We start our day. We got to get to work. We got to get things going. We got to get the kids up. We got to go. Oh, hey, we got to pray. Oh, well, yeah, but I'll, I'll do that later. 
and we go throughout the day, we go throughout the day, we have too much to do, we got to go here and there and everywhere. And then nighttime comes in, we're just too tired, we sit down, we got to put, get, we got to get on social media, I haven't liked anybody today. Oh, I got to like Manny because I know it'll make him feel good. He's very temperamental. You know, we got we think we got to do that. Oh, we got, we, we want someone to like us. And so we get caught up in all that and we got to watch our novelas, our shows. Oh, we got to go to YouTube and watch whatever we watch. And because we, we're too tired, we just want our brains to relax, right? And then what happens? We start dozing off and we don't have time to pray. We're too busy for God. He's not too busy for us. God does not remove himself from us. We remove ourselves from him. We are doing something we should never do and stray away from, the, from communing with the Lord God Almighty who has time to listen. Who has time to listen. We, we need to, when something like that happens, and it, it, it does happen, we need to realize what's going on. We need to realize that the pressures of this world, the whispers of Satan, the, the, the influence of our flesh are, are trying to take over, and we need to cry out to him. We're on fire. We're being burnt. There's a fire in our house, in our, the house of our lives, the life of our house. We need to be rescued, and we need to stop and pray. And we talked about that last time, how long our prayers should be, how short our prayers should be. But nevertheless, they should, we should pray without ceasing. You can pray even when you wake up in the middle of the night and just thank God for loving you. That's prayer. He is first and foremost in our lives. The last time we spoke about prayer, the last time we met, we spoke about how not to pray, how not to be a hypocrite. We were called now to be a hypocrite, and a hypocrite is someone that prays for others to admire, to pray for others so others could, could think, hey, man, he knows how to pray. Or Manny, Manny's a man of prayer. I always see him. He's always praying. I mean, that's a hypocrite if you're doing that for that purpose. You're doing it for others or for self. We pray for him. We pray to commune with him. We, we pray to stay tied to him. We pray for him to bring peace to our lives, to slow us down. Because, especially for me a little while ago, we are going to do something very sacred. We are going to be in the midst of someone who has called us to come to him and worship him. It's not like he's twisting our hand, is it? Or our arm back here. Saying, ah, come worship me. We can, you know, we can decide we're not going to come today. We can decide that we're going to do something else today. We can decide that there are other priorities in our life and not show up. Now, there are people watching on stream, and I'm thankful for that. I am thankful for those who watch us on stream. I, I rejoice in that. God has given us that media to be able to share the gospel. But if you're not here, you're missing out on the power of the Holy Spirit that's going around right now and in and each of us. We are engulfed with the Holy Spirit. As we look at one another, as we pray with each other, we can see the Lord in our eyes. 
And if you fail to come and assemble with the assembly of God's people, you're missing out if you're just watching on stream. And again, we're thankful because you're hearing the word preached. But if you're just streaming because you're wanting to take a break and you think you deserve it, what you need is, we've talked about many times before, you need to inconvenience yourself. It is not an inconvenience to come and serve and worship your God. And that's what we do when we gather in corporate worship today. We're going to look at how to pray. How are we to pray? Do you know how to pray? The critical issue of our text is the essence of the Lord's Prayer. The essence of the Lord's Prayer. As we mentioned when we started this sermon, the essence of the Lord's Prayer. And by the way, some people don't, don't like to refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it doesn't refer to itself as the Lord's Prayer. But you can even understand it. It was the Lord who gave us this, gave us this prayer. It is not the Lord that's praying this prayer. He doesn't need prayer. He is the Lord. But it's the Lord, it's the prayer that he gave us. So hence the Lord's prayer. So just, you know, just bear with that. How's that? Because I'm going to refer to it as that. The essence of the Lord's prayer reveals our ultimate dependence upon God from whom all blessings flow. All blessings flow. And what I mean by essence, I mean that, that it is the up, uh, of the utmost, utmost importance. It is the most significant focus, the most significant focus of the Lord's prayer is our dependency upon him for everything. If you look at it, you, you can realize, it doesn't take long to realize it starts with him. We come to realize that it is all about him. It is all about the Lord. It is all about him. And our focus is on him. And when God and when Jesus recites it, he, we're going to see it. We're going to see it unravel. We're going to see it revealed to us. Now, the passage is clearly, is clearly uh, composed of six petitions. Six petitions. But it's divided into two parts. Divided into two points, basically. The first three petitions relate to the uh, relate more to uh, relate more expressively to God. They relate to God. The second half of the second part relates to our own concerns, our concerns, both temporal and spiritual. The Lord's Prayer teaches us. To seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's the prayer. And his righteousness. And everything else will be given. Everything else will be added unto you, unto us. God's love is so great. God's love for us is so great that he opens up the gates of heaven so that our prayers can be heard. Yes, the glorious love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, does not leave us to our own devices. 
when we're called to pray, our Lord does not leave that up to our own flaws and how to figure out how to pray. He tells us how to pray. He shows us how to pray. He models the prayer for us. When it comes to something so wonderful as communing with the Almighty, with the Lord God Almighty in prayer, Jesus teaches his disciples in this sermon. He teaches us how to pray. Isn't that wonderful? It's like somebody said, okay, you need to pray to God. You need to pray. And then just wanders off. That's not what our Lord does. He says, you need to pray. And here's how to pray. Here's how to do it. Here, let me model this for you. Let me guide you through this. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's glorious. That's the love, his love for us. That's how, how he demonstrates his love for us. Christ lays out the framework for prayer. He gives us a godly example of prayer. He calls, and again, he calls it, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but this is God, Christ teaching us. Now, as we go to the first point, we must again realize that the Lord's Prayer is a model for us. It's a model that we use on how prayer should be conducted, how prayer should be done. Okay, so it's not, when somebody, when you ponder this and you think, well, I don't know how to pray, Go to this prayer. It's a model. It's an example. It, 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 it guides us. It gives us a pattern of how we ought to pray. It gives us a pattern of how we ought to pray, and it tells us what the object of all our wishes and desires in prayer should be. That's how we pray. That's how we pray. We must understand this, it's, and this, is, this has been misunderstood by some. We, we must understand that Jesus is not prohibiting us from praying this prayer. There are some people that realize that it is a model prayer, that it is, it is a pattern for us to follow. But then they decide, well, we can't pray it, or for some reason, because the Roman Catholics pray it all the time, we're not going to do it or something. Who knows what the reasons are? Jesus is not telling us not to pray that prayer. We can even pray this prayer over and over again. That's okay. Just like it is, you can pray as you start learning how to pray, because as you start learning how to pray this prayer, it is going to fill up. It is going to build up. As you go through the petitions, you're, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal things to you, and you're going to build on this prayer. So we can pray this even in repetition. What is prohibited is when we pray this prayer over and over again, that it loses its, it loses its meaning. If when we pray this in repetition, and it is void of what God intends it to be. When it's void of that, when it, we're just saying words and there is no meaning to these words, that that's you're doing it wrong. You got it wrong. This is not a work where you're going to say the Our Father twenty times so you can be forgiven for a sin. That is a work. That is not. That is not the way God does it. That is not the way God works. 
This prayer is a model. It's a pattern, but you can pray. It is okay to pray it as it is. And when you pray it, you get into that prayer. Allow your soul to get into that prayer. Allow your mind to penetrate into that prayer. And then let it build. And before you know it, you will be praying for an hour. And you won't even realize it because you were engulfed in your conversation with the Almighty Himself. We are to focus on what that prayer says and not let it be void of its meaning. As we look at the prayer, it begins in verse 9. It starts with, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Oh, to realize that we, through the precious blood of our beloved Savior, have access to the Almighty, to God the Father. Can you imagine that? Don't lose track of that. Don't. As bad as your life can get, as bad as your day can be, can you imagine? Can you don't, don't forget that you have access to Him. You can tell Him all about your day and how you're frustrated and how things happen and how you need His grace and how you, you just cry out to Him. But you start off by acknowledging Him. And see, when you acknowledge Him, all of a sudden, all your day's troubles are going to start just going, hey, that's secondary. I am talking to Him. I am talking to the Almighty. Wow. Now you're, now you're getting into the prayer. You are putting the focus of the prayer where it needs to be on Him, on the Almighty Himself, the Lord God, the Father in heaven, the Father who, uh, whose abode is in heaven. But even the heaven of heavens cannot contain the Almighty. Allow yourself to grasp or try to grasp the eternal Father, the Almighty. Allow it to overwhelm you. As a prayer begins, it sets things right. It sets things true. Because God is first and foremost in your life. In the world, in everything, whether you believe it or not, God is first and foremost. This prayer, and all prayers, must begin by addressing Him because it puts the, the prayer in perspective. Now, this is not a protocol, so to speak. It, 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 is not a, it is not the correct etiquette if you forget to say our Father, okay? It is not the, it, it's not trying to say that. It's not trying to make you think, oh, I messed up. My prayers are all bad. That's not what it's saying. What we are being told is that when we approach God in our prayer, we are approaching divine truth. We are, play, we are setting our minds in the right framework. That's what it's trying to get us to do. When we're going to pray, you better get it together because you are about to get into the presence of the Almighty. And it, that's how it starts. That's how all prayers need to start. Getting into his holy presence. The second half of verse 9 says, Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. 
This means that the Lord's name, his very name, must, must be sanctified. His very name must be sanctified. It must be honored and treated as holy. This takes us back to the third commandment. Think about the third commandment where it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Listen, when we pray, we must honor his holy name with sincerity. Sincerity. You, I mean, in other words, you, you mean it. You're not just throwing words out there that you're supposed to say. There's a reverence here to who you're speaking to. You are coming into the presence of the Lord with reverence, with deep, deep respect as you praise him warmly. This is the way we are to, to live our lives, isn't it? We are to live our lives living for his glory. This is the glory due his name. Starting a prayer off just with those two petitions is incredible. You are now engulfed in his holy presence. And now you, your mind continues to focus on him. You continue to go forth in, the, in verse 10. It, it begins by saying, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. This petition overlaps the first petition where God is to be honored. Your kingdom come means that Christ is the king. He is the king of your life. You are saying that his kingdom is in you now. You are a part of his kingdom, and his kingdom dwells in you. It has come. It is not here in its fullness, but it's here because Christ ushered it in, and it is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Kingdom comes. Christ is the king, and we want his rule, the kingdom rule, to become evident in our lives by kingdom come. You want his kingdom, the rule of his kingdom, to be evident in the way you live your life every day. That's powerful. That is submission, submission to him in love, in reverence, in his holy presence that's overwhelming us at this time. That's overwhelming us. And we're saying his kingdom come. It is in me. And I submit to his holy rule. This part of the prayer is evangelistic. Meaning that the blessings of our salvation will continue to grow in us as we live our lives, as we go through this process of being made holy, as we go through the process of sanctification. That's how we live, for his glory. We continue to pray that it will continue to grow in us and continue to grow in his church, this church, St. Stephen's Chapel. It is our desire that God, that Christ reigns, reigns in our lives now and forevermore for all of eternity, but beginning right now, here and now. This petition is also praying for the return of Christ. 
for his return. That's right. We long to see the Lord face to face. Long to see the Lord face to face. We want him to show up right now. Right now as we're worshiping him. He's here, but we want him to return in his glory. See, that, that kind of puts another thought into our minds. And as you're praying the Lord's Prayer, it may come into your mind. You may think, I want you to return. I want to see you face to face. I want you to return today, right now. Then you start thinking of loved ones that are not saved. Or friends that are not saved. Or the many people that are not saved. What is that going to make you do at that point? Pray for them. Think of them. Pray for them. Think of how you want them to be saved. Theologian John Calvin was right when he wrote this. He says that the entirety of the gospel message is contained in the name of the Father. The entirety of the gospel message is contained in the name of the Father. Next, our prayer states that your will be done. Your will, meaning your will, God, will be done. Here is the bridge, the bridge between God Almighty, God's divine will, and our desires and us. There's a bridge being built here. We are first asking God to reveal, to make his will clear in our lives. Not just for what we're reading in his holy word and trying to understand that, to make that clear to us, but in things that are going on in your life. And you're desiring him to lead you, to guide you, to make his will be revealed, to be clear in what's going on in your life. See how the prayer is building now. Your will be done because you desire that his will will be done. There may be something that you would hope that it would happen this way. And you, by this point, you dare not say, well, I pray, I pray that this will happen, Lord. No, no, your will, your will, Lord, be done. Because our will may not be what his will is. And our desire and our prayer, this petition is saying that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And second, we are praying for his grace. We're praying for his grace so that we can do what he desires, that we can have the strength to do what he desires us to do. There are many things that God desires us to do. We read about it and we talk about it. We have to pray about it. There are things that you don't want to do as, as, as a part of this church, or uh, there are things that you don't want to do as, as a Christian, as a Christ follower. But you're called to do it. You're called to share the gospel. I don't want to do it. I'm terrified. Ask for the grace to be able to do it. Ask for the grace to love others. Ask for the grace to love people you don't like. We talked about this also. You may not like what somebody's doing, but you're praying for them because you love them. Ask for the grace to do that. Your will be done. 
This part of the prayer also looks to the day when Jesus returns in his divinity and his divineness, and everything shall be perfect, perfectly done. In the second part of the, this prayer, the second part of this prayer, we move to, uh, involves our petitions, our petitions. Verse 11, it talks about, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Who is the richest man on the planet right now? E Elon Musk or something like that? No, he's not there. He's somewhere. Okay, he's up there somewhere. Do you think, not Manny, did you say Manny Alanis? No, he got that wrong. Just kidding. Okay, do you think the richest man, a person on, on this planet needs to pray that petition? Yeah, let's say he's a Christian. Let's say, I don't know. Is he going to say, give us this day our daily bread? Bread? He needs to. He or she needs to. And it is bread. It is food. It, 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 is, it, it is something that sustains us, that has to sustain us. But see, in this land of plenty, this land called America, this is a land of plenty. We have plenty to eat, more than enough. We throw it out. We throw extra food out. But it doesn't have to be that way. When we petition God to give us just our daily bread, we want him to continue to sustain us day in and day out because we live by his goodness. Like the manna that falls from heaven, we live by his goodness day in and day out. If you are rich, those things can be taken away from you if you worship them as an idol. Or you can be given over to them if that's your God. We want God to give us just our daily bread. And tomorrow we're going to pray that prayer again. And we're going to continue to pray that prayer again. In this land of plenty, we're more worried about being obese than going hungry. We don't think about asking God for prayer. For, for our daily bread, our daily sustenance. We are to depend on him for everything. In this petition, we are to pray for our daily needs one day at a time. And it's that right there, that petition certainly reveals our dependence on the Almighty, our dependence on God, just to live our lives, just to live. What we also need to know is that there are times when God allows difficulties into our life, difficulties, hardships into our life. And we pray for him to help us through that. There are times when the kingdom of God can be found in our suffering, in our, suffering, in our struggles, we find the kingdom. And just to take the next step, we need the bread from heaven to do so. The next petition is found in verse 12. It tells us that uh, we're, it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we have also, uh, as we are also called to forgive those who sin against us. In this petition, we're praying for our chief spiritual need. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And we have been forgiven. 
We need forgiveness. We sin today. We need we we're repenting of that sin. Tomorrow we're going to sin. We repent of that sin. We've been forgiven. We are being saved. We have been saved. We're being saved, and we will be saved. It is continuous. It's a continuous process. Now, here's what happens. So there are people that have misread that petition. They have misunderstood it. Some people have misread the petition thinking that it says that God will forgive us if and only if we forgive others. That's how they're misreading it. That is not correct. God is not telling us that he's not going to forgive us if we don't forgive others. If you're saved, you've been forgiven. What Jesus is telling us is this. We are to understand how precious it is for us to be forgiven by God. We must never lose sight of how precious it is that God has forgiven us. We are never to forget how much it cost God to forgive us. Then we should be willing, once we get that in the right perspective, and we acknowledge that, and we know that, that we have been forgiven much and how much it costs, then we should be willing to forgive others who have sinned against us. The forgiveness of others who have sinned against us. And if you can't do that, and if that's not in your heart, we need to talk. You need to pray, but you're you're off kilter here because you're not getting how much it costs the Lord to forgive us. It cost Him His Son. It cost His Son His blood, and it, it, it when He died on the cross. The forgiven people have a motive to forgive others. You as a forgiven person have a motive to forgive others. What's that motive? You've been forgiven. So what we read next is, lead us not into temptation. Now, is that kind of scary for some of us? It's, we're praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, lead us not into temptation. That should be pretty scary. First of all, we think, when we hear something like that, we think, well, God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't. God is not the author of sin. He doesn't tempt anyone. He allows things to happen. He allows the evil one. He allows evil things to come into our life that will put us on, on in a test, on a trial, to tempt us. But the, here's the, well, what's the scary thing about it? I cannot take it. I am too weak. I, I, I'm terrible with temptation. I don't want to be tempted. I'll fail. I will fail. Lead us not into temptation. This person who has been freed from the guilt of sin also wants to be relieved from the tyranny, the cruelty, and the oppression of sin. We who have been forgiven the horror of sin we also want to be relieved of the tyranny, the, the cruelty, and the oppression of sin. It's constant. It's constantly attacking us. It's constantly wanting to get at, get at us. And God will allow us to be te te tested. And so he'll allow a trial to come. And so here you're praying for what? You're praying for grace. 
You're praying for him not to do it, okay? You're praying, please don't test me. I will fail this test. But when you do, give me grace. Help me through this. I can't do it by myself. That's the prayer. We're praying to be released from the power and corruption of sin. What we are telling the Lord is that we cannot remain loyal to him if we're left up to our own desires. We'll fail. So we want to right in the middle of it. We want Christ in the middle of our lives, right in the middle. So the end, the end says, but deliver us from evil. Now, the word evil there could be, well, it could be neutered. I guess it could be either evil or it could be masculine. It could be the evil one. That's scary. Deliver us from the evil one. The evil one or his minion are constantly on the prowl. Here we're praying that God, here we're praying that we want God's desire to be our desire. His desire is our desire. When we resist sin, we do it knowing that we want his kingdom, his will to be done in us. We want his will. We want his kingdom to come upon us and to save us. We want to be delivered from evil by him continuously. Not yesterday, today. And, and tomorrow we pray it again. See, here's the interesting thing about uh, that part of the petition. It, it explains to us the, the, that sometimes prayers, that we think sometimes prayers are not answered. You see, God will look at a petition and whatever it may be that we're petitioning him, and he sees that if he blesses us with it, then we will give in to temptation. We will give in to evil so he doesn't honor that petition. In other words, he says no. He answers it, no. And we're thinking, why? Why no? Because if he gives it to us, we're going to be tempted into sinning against him. We're going to be led. So we want it to lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So here, it was, so we could wrap this up. What do you need to hear? What do you need to hear when you hear this? Well, you need to hear that your house, your life is on fire. Your life is on fire. And for you as a Christian, we've cried out. We've cried out for help. And see, Jesus Christ is the homeless man that came to, has come to rescue us. He is that. Remember what uh, Matthew 8 tells us when a scribe comes up to, to Jesus and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And what does Jesus tell him? Jesus says that foxes have hoes and birds, have, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In the midst of the fire that you're going to, and you call out to the Lord to rescue you, you, he comes. He wants you to trust him, to trust him, to come to him and trust him. He wants you to, to allow him, allow your household to be his household. It's no longer your household. It is now his household. It is where he dwells. 
And, and it could be your house, but it's, it's you, but it could be your, where you live. And anyone that comes upon, into your household has to submit to the glory of God, has to submit to the Lord to allow Christ to make your household his household, to pull you from the fires of hell. This is uh, Pentecost Sunday. This is the Sunday spoken about in Acts that where the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the disciples that were gathered together as we are gathered together today. And he removes the confusion and they're able to communicate with each other. And then he sends them, God sends them out to the world to share the gospel message. That is what we're called to do as a church, even here, St. Stephen's Chapel. Today is a reminder that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you are called to submit to him in prayer and to go out and share the good news with the world who's right outside this door. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Father, we do stop to thank you for your love. And You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.